So this morning, I want to share part three of this eight-week series, which is a message on being holy. And the scripture this morning comes from Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 to 11. I know you just sat down, but would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? We believe God's word is powerful, and it is strong. It's able to speak to our lives. It's able to convict us and and address real-life issues. And so we're going to read together Leviticus 10, verses 1 to 11, in one voice. Would you join me in reading together? Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. Moses summoned Mishael and Elazaphan, sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, come here, carry your cousins outside the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and carried them, still in their tunics, outside the camp, as Moses ordered. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not let your hair become unkempt, and do not tear your clothes, or you will die, and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. But your relatives, all the Israelites, may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire." Do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting or you will die because the Lord's anointing oil is on you. So they did as Moses said. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And so you can teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Leviticus chapter 10, and we're thankful, God, that you are a God who speaks through Scripture, that even as we read the trivialities of the book of Leviticus, yet there is a God who speaks to our lives, There's a God who calls us to grow in holiness. And so, Father, you have set the perfect example. You alone are perfect. You fulfilled all the law of Leviticus. And, Lord, we we declare in this place we are imperfect beings. We have failed. We have fallen short. But the hope we have today is that we can grow in holiness, that we can be sanctified day by day, becoming more and more like Christ Jesus. Father, would you teach us about the weightiness of holiness, that you are a holy God, and you desire for your people to be like you, to be holy. And so I pray that you transform our mindsets, transform the condition of our hearts. Lord, guard our tongues and control our speech and our actions. Do a great work of transformation within us so that we can be like you and live up to the high standard and high calling you've placed upon our lives. And so we engage with the book of Leviticus. We don't run away from it. We engage the scriptures today because the Holy Spirit is the great teacher. 
Father, as I'm going to preach the word, I need your help. I surrender, God. I, I, I humble myself before you, realizing that the people have gathered here to hear not a word from Chris Patiev. They've gathered to hear a word from you. So would you speak in and through me, edit in and edit out whatever you might want, God. This is your church. I hope make them today a holy church, I pray. In Jesus' name, everyone say amen. You may be seated. In 2013, John MacArthur wrote a very controversial book that accused charismatics, those people who are you know, full of the spirit, and Pentecostals in particular, of offering strange fire to God. And Pastor MacArthur, a renowned Bible teacher, an expository preacher, a man with great influence over many other pastors, he is also very critical of those whom he does not agree with. And there are many preachers, there's many ministries out in this world that you and I should guard ourselves against. I would prefer to have no part with them, no association with them, specifically those who would promote false teaching, false doctrine, maybe the gospel of health and wealth, and those whose lives are marked by scandal and greed. And these ministers are often those who hold self-proclaimed titles like apostle so-and-so, and evangelist so-and-so, and prophet so-and-so. But nevertheless, although John MacArthur offers a strong critique against Pentecostals, I can confidently say today that what John MacArthur has described is not true of our churches at large, of our Pentecostal Assembly churches, of our own church, Water Pentecostal Assembly, because the Spirit is alive and the Spirit is at work here. There is no strange fire happening here. See, our discernment is intact and we have the capacity to decipher through the power of the Spirit what is of God and what is not of God. One word of caution from John MacArthur that I do think is really appropriate. I'm not going to dismiss them altogether. There are some great things that he says. And one thing that I do think is appropriate to the larger body of Christ, not just the charismatics, not just the Pentecostals, is that we all not pursue a Christianity without Christ and a Holy Spirit without holiness. That's a good word for us today. And we can receive it. A Christianity without Christ, a Holy Spirit without holiness. Be on guard. Receive the caution today. For we should not be imbalanced with an overemphasis on experience, but we should also be counterbalanced with knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. We need to be people who are of the Word and people who are of the Spirit. Both and, not one or the other. As Jesus, he described these people in scripture is true worshipers. In John 4, 24, we read, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. And so this morning, I would like for us to come to terms with the holiness of God as presented to us in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 to 11, so that we can avoid making the same mistake of offering some kind of strange fire to God. First point this morning is the disaster from unholiness. There was definitely disaster in the text. Verses 1 to 3, we read, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they took their censers. They put fire in them and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, 
contrary to his command. And so fire came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. That's it. Boom. They're, they're dead. And Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. In Leviticus 8, we read about the ordination of Aaron and his sons to the priesthood. According to Numbers 3, verse 2, their names, the names of the sons of Aaron were Nadab, the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And they were washed, and they were clothed, and they were anointed. They were consecrated for the priesthood. A sin offering and a burnt offering, an ordination offering and a wave offering were made to establish this priesthood as covenant between God. And then in Leviticus 9, we read about Aaron and his sons mediating on behalf of the people of Israel. They stand as mediators between God and the people. And they brought on their behalf sin offerings and burnt offerings and grain offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. Leviticus 9, 23 to 24, we are told that Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offerings and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and they fell face down. This is a good fire unlike the fire that would follow after, proceed after in the next chapter, which is a consuming fire. See, this fire uh, that consumed the sacrifice signified that God had indeed accepted their offerings. And it was true that Aaron would teach his four sons how to correctly make offerings to the Lord that would please the Lord, that would be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. What happened then in verse uh, in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 to 11, something horrible happened. At one point or another, each of us have been warned by our parents or by somebody who loves us, do not play with fire, otherwise you will get burned. Do you remember your parents telling you that? Don't touch the stove, the hot element. Don't touch this because you're going to get burnt. And did that warning stop you from playing with fire? Well, some of you have the burns and the scars to show for it. You know the stories. Do we really need to be burned in order to heed the warning? Do we always have to learn the hard way before we learn the right way? Unfortunately, this is true for many of those who disobey. Nadab and Abihu were faulted for offering unauthorized or this foreign fire before the Lord. And the censers were filled with coal from the main altar and incense. That's how it was supposed to be done. But they did something different. And the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what they did. But it gives us the sense that they didn't follow the right procedures. All we know is that the fire that they used that day was from some other source contrary to God's commands. Instead of the fire consuming the offering, what happened? The fire consumed them. Why would God take such extreme measures against his own people, the people whom he loves, the people who he sets up in leadership? Well, first, this unauthorized fire was not a mistake. They knew better. They did. They really did know better. This was no mistake. This was disobedience. 
Second, God is holy and we should never forget it. The moment we forget that God is holy, we might do things that are unholy. So God made a statement about himself to Aaron through Moses. And the statement is about this. It's a standard of holiness that must be upheld by those who approach him. There is also a standard not only of holiness, but a standard of honor that must be upheld in the sight of all the people. God will not allow himself, his holiness, to be profaned. God will not allow his, his honor to be defamed. But what does this mean for us today? We no longer make offerings in a tabernacle or a temple. We no longer bring animals and grain and all those things. So then it's not an issue of understanding the context. What is it then? It is more of an issue of understanding the character of God. That God is holy, period. No ifs, no ands, no buts. This is who our God is. This is how we characterize him. He is a God of love. Yes, I love the fact that we can say he's a God of love. But he's not only a God of love. He is a God of holiness. And so the question is whether you honor God as holy when you worship him and when you pray to him as you open the Bible and read the scripture and as you live your life, are you honoring God? See, this is not just theologically true. This needs to be practically true of our lives. This is not just something we have in our heads. This is something we must live out. Holiness is lived out. This is not out of fear because God might smite you, but out of pure reverence, pure, pure reverence. So how exactly do you demonstrate that you honor God as holy? Think about that for a moment. Is there anything unholy about your approach to God and your worship of him? Take inventory in your life. Here are a few things that I was thinking about earlier this week. Consider your posture. Often when we're in times of worship, Pastor Phil will say to us, let's posture ourselves this way. Let's come before the Lord in this manner. When is the last time that you knelt down to pray? Now, we don't kneel down just for the sake of kneeling down. We don't do it just to follow the, the practice of church history and church tradition. No, we kneel down to pray because we recognize whose presence we're in. When is the last time you laid before the Lord, prostrate before the Lord, face down on the floor, recognizing you're the presence of a holy God? Maybe it's been a long time. Consider your posture. Furthermore, you mind your words. Sometimes we directly address God in, in very uh, cheap ways, in, in ways that don't honor his personhood. I encourage you to use the biblical titles that you see in scripture to refer to God using those titles. We're often encouraged to speak to God like a friend. I'm thankful. That is actually a helpful practice because it helps us know that we don't have to have the most eloquent of prayers. We don't have to be this perfect orator to speak to God. And I understand the idea behind speaking to God like a friend. But remember, friends, that you are in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're not just in front of somebody. You're in front of the only person of that kind. That means, just think about for a moment, if the Queen of England showed up in the room today, some of you would, of course, when the Queen comes to you, you'd bow, gentlemen, and then you'd curtsy if you're a lady. 
right? And then what would you do? You think very carefully about what your first impression is going to be with that queen. You're going to think carefully about what words come out of your mouth. You're going to make sure that there's no insult or that you say something that's inappropriate. You're going to guard your words and make them count in that second that you share with the queen of England. How much more with God? We're in the presence of royalty. We were talking today in pre-service prayer and we were sharing and praying for the second service. And our prayer was this, that this place would be holy ground. That this place would be the place where God would meet with us. When God met with Moses, the place became holy ground. And Moses was instructed to take off his sandals and to bow before the Lord because the Lord's presence was there. Encourage you to come humbly and that means dealing with the pride of life, the pride inside. Humbling yourself in the form of a servant, understanding that you are a servant of the king. Have the right attitude and make sure you have a pure motivation. Approach him with clean hands and with pure heart. That's how we come into the presence of the Lord. That's how we come into his presence holy. Secondly today, the decision for holiness versus Four to seven, it's a decision that you have to make today. The scripture says Moses summoned Mishael and Elisphan, sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, come here, carry your cousins outside the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. And so they came and carried them, still in their tunics, outside the camp, as Moses ordered. And then Moses said to Aaron and his sons Eleazar and Ithamar, do not let your hair become unkempt, and do not tear your clothes or you will die. Oh, there's the, that sentence there. And the Lord will be angry with the whole community. But your relatives and all the Israelites may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. Do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting or you will die because the Lord's anointing oil is on you. And so they did as Moses said. There are two episodes involving two pairs of people. And the first we're introduced are the two cousins, Mishael and Elazphan. And since Aaron, Eleazar, and Ithamar were officiating services in the tabernacle, they would not be able to care for their dead without defiling themselves. And neither could dead bodies just remain in the church or in the sanctuary without defiling that place either. And so the cousins were called immediately. They were the next of kin, and they came and responded to Moses' instructions to remove the burnt corpses. Just imagine the smell. Second, we were introduced to Aaron's two younger brothers. Uh, sorry, Aaron's two youngest sons, Eleazar and Ithamar. And Aaron and his living sons were prohibited from expressing their own grief through the traditional ways of keeping their hair unkempt and tearing their clothes, another version of wearing sackcloth and heaping ashes on their head. They were not allowed to grieve. Now just imagine that for a second. You're not able to grieve your own family member's death. That being death from the hands of God, the fire of God. Why? because they had been made holy and were not to become unholy by grieving for the dead, coming into close proximity with the corpse. 
Only their relatives could mourn because they were not functioning in the priestly service. And so just imagine Aaron's temptation to leave everything, to stop being a priest and say, I gotta take care of my family. I gotta, I gotta do the responsible thing. He couldn't. He couldn't weep over his two sons. He had to stay in the temple because God commanded him to be there. And twice we hear the warning, both in verse six and verse seven, do not or else you will die. Pretty strong words from God to his people. And what is the purpose behind these words? God taught them, and he is also teaching us today, that there are consequences for disobeying a holy God. There are consequences. Don't be fooled thinking that there are no consequences. There are always consequences for our actions. Interacting with the holiness of God is actually a life and death issue, whether you believe it or not. The purpose of this portion of scripture is to contrast the disobedience of Nadab and Abihu with the obedience of Mishael and Elizaphan and Eleazar and Ithamar. In verse 5 we read, as Moses ordered, they obeyed. And in verse 7 we read, so they did as Moses said. We see the obedience of these guys. You see, we don't get to do what, what, whatever we want to do. We don't get to do it however we want to do it. God has a prescribed way for us. God wants us to be obedient to his will and to his plan. God is approachable, but guess what? On his terms, not our terms. And so holiness is to hear an instruction from God and to carry out to its fruition. It is to obey the word of the Lord and to listen to the messenger of the Lord. Therefore, holiness is always a decision. You have that decision every day of your life to choose holiness or unholiness. You are always one decision away from unholiness. And even though we acknowledge that we're not perfect people, there are no perfect people. No one is righteous. No, not one. God is not looking for perfection. God is looking for blamelessness. We must do everything we can in our power to avoid unholiness and make every intentional decision to choose holiness. I love how the author of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 12, 14. Without holiness... No one will see the Lord. Think about that. What should you be spending the rest of your life doing, cultivating, developing? Holiness. Without holiness, you will not see the Lord. God expects his people to be holy. Third point this morning is distinguishing between holy and common. Verses eight to 11, the scripture says, then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And so you can teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. There are a few theories when we read this passage of scripture, things that we wonder and contemplate and we have these questions that we bring. One theory is this, is that Nadab and Abihu were drunk when offering strange fire before the Lord. 
Maybe they had been into the wine or the beverages, the local LCBO of Israel. And they made their way, and then they came into the presence of the Lord. Well, that's not good. That is what led them to not have a clear mind when they were offering fire in the censer. Therefore, they offered strange fire to the Lord. It's possible. And while God doesn't prohibit drinking, some of you are relieved now. We know that drunkenness is a sin. And we learn that drinking while serving the Lord in the tent of meeting, which is a holy place, is inappropriate. Another perspective to consider is Leviticus 16, verses 1 to 2. The preamble to the Day of Atonement, where it says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. Even though we're in chapter 10, we're fast-forwarding now to chapter 16. The death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover of the ark or else he will die for I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Once again, we learn that this is a holy place. The holy of holies is the most holy place where God met with his people. And they could not access that place unless it was the day of atonement. No priest could just waltz in past the curtain and stand in front of the ark whenever they wanted to. The day of atonement was the only day when one priest could enter that place and make atonement for the entire nation. And so whether it was drunkenness or it was trespass, Nadab and Abihu, they lacked one thing. They lacked sober-mindedness. Sober-mindedness, as a result, they therefore lacked discernment. And I believe these are the two vital things that are missing in the body of Christ today. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, the apostle Peter cautioned, be alert and sober-minded. Be alert and sober-minded, my friends. This is more than just a, this is more about a mindset and is, it is less about a lack of self-control. Believers need to be serious and sensible about all things in life. In fact, if we fail to be of this mind, we will leave ourselves vulnerable to making bad decisions in life. Do I need to change the microphones here? Pastor Kim, can you help me? Sorry, everybody. Thank you so much. And so the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 125, he requested of the Lord, I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. See, discernment is not something you naturally possess. I wish it was, but it's not. It's something that comes directly from the Lord. It is something that he gives to you. It's not something you can conjure up. Without it, you will mistake the unholy for the holy. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12, verse 2, he called discernment the renewing of the mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. You and I, we need to be able to test and approve what God's will is. And so how do we apply this to our lives today? Here's the reality. The reality is that God has moved from the Old Testament paradigm of holy places and holy things to the New Testament paradigm of holy people. 
God is more interested in who you are than necessarily what church you go to and what things you do at church. God no longer dwells in houses made of human hands. He dwells within the human heart right in here. And the scripture talks about our bodies as holy temples and our lives as being holy vessels set apart to God for usefulness. Consider 2 Timothy 2, 20 to 21, which moves from non-living things to living things. And it says, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. And some are for special purposes, and some are for common use. And now he switches to living people. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So how do you view yourself? As clean or unclean? As holy or as unholy? As special or as common? You should be different. You should be set apart. You should be set apart from the people of this world. Let me affirm you today, but let me also remind you today that to God, you are special. That to God, you were made to be holy. That to God, you are useful for his work. That's his plan and his desire is to use you. But the prerequisite to all of that is holiness. He doesn't want to use things that are not holy. But if you will pursue holiness, you will make holy choices. You will not lose self-control. You will not be deficient in discernment. You will be able to know the difference between right and wrong. You will know the difference between good and evil. You will know the difference between the will of God and the work of Satan. You will know. Some of you are wondering today, why should this portion of scripture relate to me unless I'm a priest or I'm a pastor? Good question. What you might not understand today is that you're a priest. You are a priest. I'm not sure if you knew that yet, but you are a priest. We believe in the priesthood of all believers, meaning that you have equal access to God as I have. That you do not need an earthly mediator like a priest to access and to Go to the throne room of God. You are a minister unto God and unto others. So you're a priest. Function like a priest. Live up to the calling of a priest. God told Moses in Exodus 19 verses 5 and 6 that he wanted his people to become his priest. And he said, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation. The Apostle Peter told us that you will be has already realized as you are in 1 Peter chapter 2.9. Notice the words. It doesn't say you will be. It says you are. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. And so if you are a priest, then you are set apart from all the people in the world for God's special purposes. God wants you to be his priest. 
what do priests do? Leviticus 10, 11 tells us that the priestly ordinance is to teach the Israelites the ways of God. This means that Leviticus serves for us today a teaching purpose, that it is useful for teaching, that when we go to the book of Leviticus, we don't come just to read history. We don't just come to read rules. We come to hear a word from the Lord for him to teach us. And this word is both a word of endurance and it's a word of encouragement for you today. As the Apostle Paul in Romans 15 verse 4 noted, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Leviticus in the past was written to teach you so that through the endurance taught in scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Hope of what? That we can be holy. As the worship team comes and we prepare to conclude today, I really believe that many of you have high standards. You have high standards in life, high standards when it comes to upholding the law, high standards as it comes to the ethical standards. But it is time, my friends, to live up to the high moral standard God has placed upon your life. The exhortation that I want to leave you with today is one that is found from the words of the Apostle Paul as it was written in 1 Corinthians many times. I think it's really important for us to catch a hold of these words today. And the words and the phrase is this, do you not know? Do you not know? Hold on to that for a moment. I'm going to give you some examples from Scripture. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17, we read, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Don't you know? Then in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 we read, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not know? Later in 1 Corinthians, same chapters, for chapter 6 verses 15 to 16. We read, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that you, that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. Do you not know? How can what is holy and what is unholy be united into one flesh? This is the idea that two people become unequally yoked with each other. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 to 20 we read, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Let me capitalize this for you today, emphasize it and highlight it. You are not your own. Friends, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, if you are a Christian today, though you should already know, if you didn't know, now you know. You know these truths. We know these truths. 
But so often we fail to obey. Leviticus is all about a holy God and the formation of a holy people. And if there's anything that will set you apart from this world, if there's anything that the world needs to see right now in this hour, in this time, it is the holiness of God's people. The holiness of God's people. That we have been set apart for a great purpose to live as an example to the world that we have a higher calling. That God has a higher standard upon our lives. And that it's not impossible, it's possible with God. That he doesn't want perfection because I can't be perfect unless it's Christ's perfection in me and his work in my life. But church, would you receive today this encouraging word to be holy because the Lord is holy. He says, be holy, Leviticus 19.2, be holy because I am holy. God wants us to be like him. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, we must look like Christ. Let's pray.